0: Oh, hello, friends! My name is Adam Dowd, and this is my brand new podcast. This week, we're doing a roundup of reviews for the Galaxy S20 Ultra, and the Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher, drops by to talk about just why the hell he's so in love with foldables. Coupled with our news of the week, we've got a show that's packed full of jam, so won't you join me? It's the Benefit of a Dowd Podcast. off, I thought it might be fun to talk about just what the hell this little show of ours is. We're going to be packing each episode full of news, reviews, and interviews. You know, all the ooze of tech sites. That came out wrong. Each week, we'll take a look at the top headlines, and I'll add some of my usual commentary. Plus, every week, we'll have features that tackle the biggest stories. Maybe it'll be a product that comes across my desk. If I don't have a product, we'll look at what others are saying about other major devices in a review roundup. Plus, I'll be chatting with some of the biggest names in the tech and geek space to find out just what makes them tick. It's an evolving show, and I welcome your feedback at host at benefitofedow.com. As for today, we have a great show in store for you. We're doing a review roundup of the Samsung Galaxy S20 Ultra. And later, the Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher, will be dropping by to talk about foldables. And trust me, folks, he knows when to hold them. But to start things off, let's take a look at the top stories of the week. Last year, Sony brought us the Xperia's 1, 5, and 10. And this year, we wondered what the hell they were going to name their follow-ups. And this week, we found out. It's the Xperia 1 Mark II, which is, well, kind of ridiculous. Sony will say that it's to bring the phones more in line with their camera models. Customers in Japan will say, the Xperia Mark I is a weird name, but it's Sony, man. And American customers will say, wait, Sony makes phones? The 1 Mark II... Man, I'm never going to get used to that. The One Mark II has a headphone jack and wireless charging, which is awesome. And Sony is really proud of its photographic capabilities because in a world of 108 megapixel sensors, Sony is sticking with old reliable 12. But the phone supports up to 20 frames per second shooting in burst mode and a new pro shooting mode, which Sony says is right in line with its DSLRs. It also has a dedicated camera button if you've been clamoring for that slightly overrated feature. Oh, and in case you thought the name might be a fluke, Sony also introduced the mid-range Sony Xperia 10 Mark II as well. It's only taken 60 years, but Etch-A-Sketch has finally developed a device that allows you to draw a perfect circle. Rather than the awkward, broken, generally egg-shaped monstrosities you could make from a dual knobs, now you can draw a perfect circle courtesy of a rotating screen. So yeah, the Etch-A-Sketch screen is round, which is... It's a little cheating, but still, the possibilities this opens are amazing. Planets. Baseballs. Um... Other things that are round. Okay, I'll be honest, I never really think about round things on a sketch because round sucks on a sketch. But now it doesn't anymore. And the best part is, it's only going to cost $10 when it launches this summer. That's pretty awesome, and for 10 bucks, <laughs> I gotta get one. Maybe review it on the podcast? Hmm. The price of being an influencer may have just gone up a little bit. Companies are starting to steal the faces of influencers for their own knockoff products. And of course, by face, what I mean is imagery or do I? Wired tracked a number of influencers who posted videos on YouTube of buying their own products from knockoff companies. Things like wigs and custom sewn dresses. Things like that. The knockoffs are predictably terrible, and the influencers really can't do a damn thing about it. If it wasn't terrible, it would almost be funny. It'd be like if someone launched a podcast called Benefit of a Dug with country music and some dude with a thick Ukrainian accent. And no, this is not that podcast, so, you know, stop Daring Fireball reports that according to a top Apple analyst, Apple will release an ARM-based MacBook sometime in the next 18 months. No, really, we mean it this time. Apple has been running off of Intel chips for years now, but the move looks to mirror things like the Surface Pro X. The only thing the analyst didn't predict was... Why? The benefits of an ARM-based processor include battery life and always-on connectivity, both of which are nice. But MacBooks, and especially MacBook Airs, are already battery champs, so really, what's the point? Plus, MacBooks already connect pretty seamlessly for a hotspot, and again I ask, what's the point? In my world, the downsides, which include a shocking lack of power... It just doesn't make sense for Apple to ramp things down that much. That's kind of what iPads are for. Sorry, hashtag what's a computer. ARM chips haven't taken off in laptops because reviewers consistently come back saying, while the always-on connectivity is great, you really can't do anything with them. It just seems silly at this point, but hey, Apple, you do you. And speaking of Apple, that company is notorious for controlling everything about the iPhone from the manufacturing to the software. Well, there's one other thing that Apple keeps an iron grip on. It's use by a bad guy in a movie. (laughs) I am not even kidding. Apple will not allow a character who is bad to use an iPhone in any movie. This is mind-bending on many levels, but Ryan Johnson... Yes, The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, revealed that in his movie Knives Out, which is a mystery movie where the bad guy is revealed at the end, the bad guy wasn't allowed to use an iPhone at any point. So if you're going to see Knives Out, watch out for the green bubbles, I guess. But overall... How does Apple get away with this? Surely the iPhone has to be considered a public domain item. Like, screw you, Tim. Darth Vader's going to carry an iPhone if the prop master says he will. In what universe does Apple actually get to control the stuff that happens in movies? I mean, I don't make movies, but is this actually a thing? It can't be a thing, right? Right? Jesus. Jesus. If you're a child of the 80s, pay attention to Netflix, who is coming out with a new series based on the popular series Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I don't really have a story here. I'm just nerding down over a hot redhead in a trench coat. And in a brilliant piece of marketing, the Wisconsin Humane Society needed to raise some money, so on their Facebook page, they posted the following, quote, It's time to put the fun back in fundraising. If you donate $15 to the animals at WHS, we'll draw your pet. The catch? We're a whole lot better at caring for animals than we are at drawing them. We have a pool of staff and volunteers standing by eager to turn your animal into a timeless work of art. Or at least to make you laugh, you might get one of our extremely talented artists, but we'll be honest, you'll probably get someone who can't draw their way out of a paper bag. The post is followed by a couple of drawings, and yeah... They're pretty terrible, but you know it's not about the drawings; it's about the money, and they got some bank, yo. Because an update to the post reads, "quote Due to overwhelmingly amazing response, submissions have now closed. Your questionable spending habits have raised more than twelve thousand dollars for the animals at WHS. Well played, Wisconsin Humane Society. Well played, indeed." SlickRaps came under scrutiny this week when a white-hat security hacker discovered a major vulnerability on SlickRaps' website. Basically, the website allowed a would-be hacker to upload a certain type of file containing certain code, and through that, gain access to basically everything on SlickRaps' servers. I would tell you more about it, but I don't speak code. Anyway, this kicked off a long saga of this white-hat do-gooder trying to connect with SlickRaps to let them know, hey, your fly is unzipped and you don't seem to be wearing underwear. But not only were his warnings dismissed, they were actively blocked. And he knows that because he was able to log into SlickRaps' Zendesk account and see the tickets for himself, after giving himself admin privileges, of course. While he was there, he got customer reports, transaction numbers, and a whole bunch of personal information that would make the EU's GDPR advocates head spin. He eventually gave up trying to contact SlickRaps and just said screw it and posted a now-deleted Medium post on the whole ordeal, including how he got in. Meanwhile, the CEO of SlickRaps, who is a lot more proud of his Kansas heritage than he really should be—I mean, let's face it, it's Kansas— But he posted a video apologizing for the incident and assuring everyone that the security breach has been fixed. Whether or not the White Hat Analyst is still blocked is unknown. And finally, YouTubers and reviewers across America got their first look at the LG V60 ThinkQ 5G, which LG wants you to call the LG V60 ThinkQ 5G, but which everyone else will just call... The V60. Anyway, the new phone, the successor to my current daily driver, the LG V50, boasts impressive specs, and like its predecessors, the G8X and V50, comes with a dual-screen accessory allowing you to bolt on a second screen, turning your LG V60 into what amounts to a poor man's Galaxy Fold. And I don't mean that with a negative connotation. It's arguably the only version of the Galaxy Fold that should exist, but again, we'll talk about that with Mr. Fisher in just a little bit. Personally, I'm a big fan of a dual screen. It's quite useful overall, and the fact that according to LG, this phone will come in at under $1,000 and will be launching on major U.S. carriers makes this phone a solid Galaxy S20 competitor, even if Samsung will be the runaway favorite this season and through no fault of LG's. And speaking of the Galaxy S20, let's talk about that device in our Galaxy S20 Ultra review roundup. The Galaxy S20 Ultra 5G is here, and god damn, this thing is an ultra. First of all, let me point out that unlike literally every reviewer that posted a review of this phone, I am not going to give you the dictionary definition of the word ultra. Here's a hint, reviewers. No speech with the words, according to the dictionary, is ever worth listening to. People know what ultra means, so just stop it. Literally every review. Ugh. I guess I'm not one to criticize since I don't actually have a Galaxy S20 Ultra to review. This is a brand new podcast, so I'm still very much a small fish in this big pond. But you can help with that. Subscribe, leave an Apple podcast review, tell your friends, show them how to subscribe in the app. You know, if it's not too much trouble. What was I saying? All oh, right, The Galaxy S20 is ultra AF, and on paper, this thing is the pinnacle of smartphones out there. It's huge, it's heavy, but it's got the best screen, the best battery, the best camera, the best features. It's the cream of the crop, and it earns its ultra name. It also has the highest price tag of any phone that doesn't fold, but then again, it's only $100 more than the red phone, so I guess we're okay. But getting back to those features, in all of my years as a tech reporter and reviewer, I have never seen a device that topped every spec on the market. There's always a corner that's cut somewhere, but not here. Every damn spec is the speciest spec you've ever specced. So let's get into it. You've got a 6.9-inch glorious AMOLED screen, 120Hz refresh rate at 1080p, that is, Snapdragon 865 processor with accompanying 5G modem, 12 gigabytes of RAM, 128 gigabytes of storage, 5,000 milliamp hour battery, five cameras all told, one on the front, four on the back, if you don't count the time of flight sensor and you shouldn't, IP868 water resistance and an in-screen fingerprint sensor, which admittedly got mixed reviews. But the headline on this story is the camera setup on the back of this bad boy, which Mr. Mobile rightly points out kind of looks like a domino super glued to the back of the phone. But this thing is capable of some super tricks, including what Samsung calls 100x Space Zoom. Now, in reality, 100x zoom is pretty terrible. It's blotchy and blocky and basically looks like a modern art masterpiece. But the fact that it exists at all is fairly remarkable. You will not post anything you take at 100x onto Instagram. But you may want to convert some of it into ASCII art, and that's a joke for old people. But from what I've seen, right around 30x is the ceiling for usable zoom, and at that level, it's barely usable, but still really impressive. And one other impressive area that I've seen is the 4K video recording stabilization. Now, did I say 4K? Yes, I did. But the S20 Ultra is capable of 8K video recording. But stabilization is a dumpster fire at that resolution, and you probably don't have any 8K devices that you can watch on, and that includes the S20 Ultra. You might have a TV if you had a pile of money someplace and decided not to set it on fire, but to do something even sillier with it. But that's it. End of story. Meanwhile, the 4K video stabilization is a frickin' work of art on this phone. But don't take my review for it. Let's stroll around the interwebs and see what the cool kids say about it. And we'll start with Andrew Martinick at Android Central who says quote, there's almost nothing about this design that stands out, but it's executed perfectly. The build on this phone is clearly an iteration of a line of phones that has been around for a decade, a sentiment from Michael Fisher, by the way. But the fact that this is a ho-hum design isn't the lead of the story. The lead is that Samsung has taken a design that's almost a decade old and made it damn near perfect from top to bottom to sides. Now, of course, we have to talk about the back of the phone. Nick goes on to say, quote, The only blind spot in the design is a practical one in two senses of the word. The rear camera housing is huge because it has to be for four distinct camera sensors and one extremely large zoom lens that uses a prism to even fit in this size. But even in this thicker than most phone, the camera bump sticks up a couple millimeters further and is wide and tall, even in the proportion of this wide and tall phone. Meanwhile, Dieter Bone over at The Verge says about this phone, if there is a spec that you can think of for a phone, this phone is trying to beat that spec, and Samsung feels like it has something to prove, and that's an interesting sentiment. Exactly how does Samsung look to prove that? Well, it's not just hardware, but in the software as well, and I'll let Dieter explain here.
1: The other side of performance is software, and for the most part, Samsung is doing a solid job with One UI on top of Android 10. I still like it, but Samsung is starting to Samsung it up a little bit with feature creep. Everything that it's ever made is still here and too much of it is sitting in the settings tray and it's ready to confuse you. There's Quick Share, which is like AirDrop, but only for Galaxy phones. There's Link Share, which lets you throw stuff online for a private link for people to download for a day or two. There's Music Share, which lets other people with Galaxy phones play their music on the Bluetooth device that's paired to your Galaxy phone. But it's not as weird as Samsung Daily, which sits next to the home screen and just doesn't really offer useful cards for anything. Or as weird as Bixby, which sits under a long press of the power button and is still just Bixby.
0: Sasha Segan at PCMag writes that, quote, The Galaxy S20 Ultra has the potential to become the best phone you can buy, but it's not worth $1,400 until Samsung fixes some major bugs. Most notably, Sagan and other reviewers are pointing at bugs that are present in the phone, especially in the camera. One particularly egregious bug lies in the autofocus on the video camera in low light, which, if you ask me, is fairly niche, but it's not crazy to want this to work normally. Which has sparked yet another debate. Should reviewers ding a phone based on bugs that Samsung says they're in the process of fixing? Some argue that... by the time consumers pick up this phone, a software patch will resolve them. However, my response to that has and will always be, don't judge a phone based on what it might do tomorrow, judge it on what it does today. Juan Carlos Bagnell, friend of the show, wrote a long piece on that and Samsung's role in the conversation. Spoiler alert, it's a big role. All things considered, though, on a phone that costs $1,400, you have the absolute right to demand perfection. And as of right now, the Galaxy S20 Ultra does not deliver that. Whether or not you're willing to settle is, of course, up to you. And now that we've looked at one $1,400 Samsung phone that doesn't fold, let's look at another one that does, because joining me in our next segment is the Mr. Mobile, who has an unabashed love affair with folding phones, and we wanted to find out why that is. Our first guest on this pilot episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's a former colleague and longtime friend who worked his way up the tech review chain at Pocket Now until Mobile Nation snatched him up for his true calling, his own dedicated YouTube channel filled to the brim with the best B-roll reviews you could find on the interwebs as the Mr. Mobile. Michael Fisher, welcome to the show.
1: I am very pleased to be here, particularly now that everyone knows how how big a deal I am and how, how I can't possibly live up to that intro. So thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate you.
0: You're kind of a big deal. I'm just saying. I mean So, uh, Michael, the reason you are here is because mm-hmm. you have an unabashed love for all things foldable. Yes. And by all things foldable, I mean like these days, like both things foldable. So <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about that just because, you know, foldables are kind of a thing. They're in their infancy right now. But you are on the on the the forefront, the pioneer of all things foldable. And so I wanted to talk to you about that just because you have, you know, you're pretty passionate about the subject.
1: Completely. Yeah. I was just tweeting earlier today about how I feel like, like I was like, I literally had to say, don't laugh in the tweet because I was having this thread about how I'm getting older and I'm happier with myself than I've ever been. And yet I'm less patient on Twitter with anyone who I perceive to be like just being a jerk. I've just been I blocking saw that people after. Yeah. Well, my second entry in this thread was like, don't laugh, but this might be because of foldables because for years um, I have I've never been as bored with smartphones as some other people have. I've always really, they're my favorite thing to talk about, but sure. there's no denying that for, you know, you know for a couple of years there, it was like company releases different differently sized, slightly differently aspect ratioed glowing rectangle. And it's like-
0: I would say mm. as long as I've been in the industry, yeah, a couple yeah. of years- <laughs> (laughs) Yeah. So So you're you're talking back to like 2013. Like, like, I think we hit peak smartphones somewhere around the Galaxy S3 ish, somewhere in there. Oh, we still had
1: runway after that. Think of it. Like, Motorola was still doing crazy things with their backplates, right? You could still get something weird like a wooden smartphone or a leather smartphone. You still had companies doing these limited runs like Essential and whatever. So, like, I feel like we didn't get to full boring until people were arguing about notches hole punches <laughs> and, like, location of camera module on the back. And I was like, oh, man, even I am like, ugh. So from one perspective, yeah, I want to give some, I will give some air to that argument that, like, you tech reviewers just like foldables because you're bored of the old stuff. And I'm, I think there's some of that. But for me, right, I mean, you you can speak to that a little bit, right? Like, it's, what what foldables have you held? The fold? Held? Yeah. None. Oh, no way. You haven't no, even touched I,
0: one? No, I haven't. I've been meaning to get yeah. over to a Verizon store,
1: but I just you have haven't to, managed have to, man. It. I just, like... So. Because it's one of those things that doesn't translate to as well um, unless you're you're holding it, right? It's it's kind of yeah. like a leather back on a phone. You're like, well, that sounds kind of stupid. Okay, but go hold one, and you'll change your mind. I would
0: say it's kind of like a like a drone or like a VR headset. It's a very uniquely personal experience that you really don't know what you're missing until you have it.
1: Yeah, much much better analogy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and. You know, I don't know. I don't want to get too. I could just motor mouth about this all day, but I do. I I want to say that yeah, there <laughs> That's is kind a of part why of that. we're here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, and it's it's it affects me even in a more pronounced way because, as everyone knows, I'm a massive Star Trek nerd, and it's the reason I am a tech fiend, or it's a large part of the reason I'm a tech fiend today. And Star mm-hmm. Trek has always been about the handheld object that folds up to become smaller so it can go so it can more practically be stored in a holster or on a belt or in a bag. And yeah. I grew up with clamshell phones to begin with. I know what it's like to have something that is as big as you need it to be and then as small as you need it to be in the same package. And the fact that people argue against that, um, <laughs> it, it, ins- I, it I makes mean... me incensed. No, I get that. But I understand the arguments. So let's we can talk about some of them because they are all valid and probably no one should buy a foldable yet. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, and actually we're going to put a pin on that because we're going to circle back to that. But I mean, like, I think the arguments that people have against foldables are, are we really there yet? I mean, sure, they exist. And yes, they're here, but. You know, there's some there's there are issues there. I mean, there mm-hmm. are you know with in terms of like build, in terms of materials, Durability. and we just kind of and and actually circling back to the whole notch punch hole argument, it seems like kind of like a halfway step until we get like what we should actually get.
1: Hmm. If yes. you know what I mean, I totally do. Uh, but what's and what's nice about that is that like, not only is that true, not only are we in this crazy wild west of manufacturers pushing out different form factors i saw one uh which is all the the crazy tcl ones like if you watch westworld and you've always been like oh my god that prop they use in westworld that's a tablet and a phone and it's like like tcl just went and built that it's like a three pane phone with joined by two hinges and one of them okay, is yeah. an innie and one of them is an Audi. And it's like, this is crazy. And then they built a wallet foldable. And then they built a scrollable that comes out like a pirate's treasure map. It's oh, like,
0: see, that's the one I'm looking
1: forward yeah. to. Yeah. Oh, okay. and it's super cool. So, like, But I love that companies are not only that they're doing that, that they feel like they can explore all these different form factors alongside the tablet, the folding tablet, and the clamshell. Um, but they're doing it so rapidly. Like, dude, it mm. was not even a year ago that the Galaxy Fold was announced and now Samsung is already onto the second iteration, the clamshell version. And the, the uh, improvement on m- most aspects of that build is amazing right. that that happened in 10 months and that the price That's came true. down by 30%. You know what I mean?
0: And, and in that time, we have the Escobar Fold 1 and 2, oh, man, which is yeah, really got,
1: impressive. Yeah, the blessings never quite stop, do they?
0: Yeah, yeah. So now Don't I order circle... that
1: phone. No one. No one out there should order that phone.
0: So I want to circle back to a point you just made. Um, As a reviewer, do you find that there's some cognitive dissonance between recommending a Gen 1 product like a foldable to your viewers? And what's the responsibility there, if any? Like, what's your responsibility, and what's the responsibility of the OEM?
1: Yeah, so every time that I'm making one of these videos, I'm like, look, even if I'm going to allow myself to spend nine minutes telling you why I love the Galaxy Fold, I still have to come back to... It, in, in that last minute, um, what I say to people who ask me about it in public, which is literally everyone who sees me using it in public. You can't get any work done if you buy a foldable phone. Like People just come up to you, which is great. I, I love it. Good to know. But I say the same thing to everybody. I'm like, yep, it's great. Here's why it's awesome for me. I'm very enthused about it. Don't buy one right now. It's No one should spend $2,000 or nearly $2,000 on a phone, particularly not one this fragile. Um, okay. and I've had a better experience with the fo- I, my fold isn't broken my fold is barely scratched and I don't baby Right. It. but there's no denying that like y- y- pe- we've gotten accustomed to throwing around our phones because they're either they're mil spec or they're IP68 or they're just you can just throw them around and they don't really break because sometimes they shatter but they still work like the fold right. you know you can't take the fold to the beach really <laughs> you know what I mean so it's like I, I, I cannot recommend that most people get one unless they're obviously a nerd like me, in which case they don't need me to tell me to buy it. They're, they're, they've already bought it. So okay. I, I have to, I have to come back to that. I have to come back to level at the end of every video and say, Hey, we're still in the first wave of these. Probably you shouldn't buy it.
0: So this is basically an enthusiast product yes. at the, at the at, moment. At so, the and-
1: moment. But it's not like, it's not like an enthusiast product that um, is being, Like what's a good example, Um, say a Porsche design Huawei phone or earlier a Porsche design BlackBerry, right? These crazy variants that were made, A, for rich people, B, for a specific niche, but C, kind of just to be a statement piece. They don't really add much unless you're a fan of Porsche or whoever else is, you know, whoever the co-brander is. Um, These foldables change the way you use a phone. Foldables make so much possible, and I think it, they are going to be the future of, of mobiles, so, or, okay. or a huge part of the future of mobiles. So it, it's different. There's a massive runway ahead of us. We're just at the beginning of this foldable thing. It's not just a flash in the pan, in my opinion.
0: Foldable versus dual screen. Where do you stand in that particular debate and by dual screen, I should probably clarify yeah. talking about the LG V60, uh, the Microsoft Surface Duo, which is supposed to be coming out mm-hmm. maybe in December, maybe a lot earlier, I've, I'm hearing recently. So mm-hmm. so those types of devices, like where do they fall in this particular spectrum?
1: I'll preface this by saying, again, I love it when manufacturers are in this mode, when it's mm-hmm. this Wild West landscape. No one knows what's going to work. No one knows what's going to catch, catch on. Everyone's just kind of going crazy again it's like 2004 right. and Nokia is like kicking out these phones that are like wow that looks like a musical note for no reason <laughs> I, I love that um, yeah. yeah so that being said I think the Duo and the V60 approach a lot of people say they're more practical I agree they're more pragmatic okay. um, they are and they're also easier to understand at first glance because you're like oh I have two screens on my phone I could put one thing over here and one thing over here and that's how I use my phone cool for me it seem it, it, I can open my Galaxy Fold right now which is sitting next to me cuz I carry it every day and I can use software to split that monster display in two or in three. Okay. The difference is when I want it to be one interrupted canvas it's like say for maps or for a video or for reading um I I can, can then be. eliminate right I can eliminate that software division and have that. I can't have hmm. that with the Duo. I can't have that with the v60 there's always going to be that big old gutter in the middle and we've known that since the tablet p from sony uh, zte's axon m we've i've used these phones before and they're very useful when you want to multitask but when you would rather have a big screen you can't really have it unless you willing willfully just dismiss that center gutter um which is fine. And if, if some people can do that, hey, I can ignore the way that crease feels on my Galaxy Fold, even though I hate it to my core. Um, right. So we, we, we choose what we can put up with based on what the product gives us. And um, I'm not going to say dual screen phones are less valid than a foldable. Just from my perspective, a foldable is more versatile.
0: Hmm. Okay. So let me ask you this. At what point do foldables become a thing? Like what has to happen in order for foldables to be no longer for the enthusiasts, but actually for the mainstream? Does Does Apple just need to release a foldable phone? Is that, <laughs> is that where we're at? It would
1: certainly help. And let me tell you, if you want to have the most informed speculation about a foldable iPhone and just... Just fun thought experiments. I know you know this, Adam. But everyone listening, just go watch Rene Ritchie's Victor, uh, videos at Vector. Uh, he has been reporting on the iPhone for just forever, and he makes some great foldable iPhone renders and has some great thoughts on it. Um, yeah, the Apple the Apple thing does tend to democratize everything, so a foldable iPhone would certainly help. But honestly, man, from my perspective, just the price has to come down. Right now, these okay. you, you you're paying as much for a Galaxy Z Flip as you would for a Galaxy Ultra. Uh, and the S twenty Ultra and the Ultra just is capable of so much more. And the Z Flip is the cheaper of the two foldables, so price has to come down <laughs> and the durability has to come up. Um, we saw okay. Zach just destroy the screen on that Z Flip. Uh, even if it's ultra thin glass, you know it's it's not as durable as regular glass. Uh, the devices right. are not waterproof. They're not dustproof. The the build. That those problems need to be solved before these, I think, become truly mainstream.
0: So in the case of the Galaxy Fold specifically, uh, one question I want to ask you, and like I said, I've never had hands on it, so maybe you, can, maybe you can answer for me and for some of our listeners. Is the phone as good as a normal phone and is the tablet as good as a normal tablet?
1: Uh, no, I, th- I think they're both compromised. This is another okay. very clear indication that we're in first gen, right? When it's closed, that screen is very small. And it takes practice to use it because it's so small and so narrow. Uh, You do get used to it. You can make things happen on it, but it's frustrating. And particularly if you use apps like Instagram that are very sensitive to weird aspect ratios, neither screen works well with Instagram. And that sucks for a content creator, right? Um, Well,
0: Instagram doesn't work on any tablet ever, so it doesn't (laughs) really matter. Yeah,
1: Instagram just kind kind of sucks unless you have an iPhone, right? Yeah, um, well, even yeah. even then. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, thanks for that, Instagram. So, um that's frustrating and then in tablet mode, uh many people have made the point before me that hey, Android tablets have never been great, so why do you want one all the time, right? True. There's just something about There's something about the utility of having a tablet but only when you want it. Like the Fold goes in my pocket very easily. It's a chonker, don't get me wrong, but it goes in my pocket much more easily than like a Nexus 7 would. And I feel sure. like I'm carrying around, pardon the old guy tech reference, by the way. Kids, that was a tablet in 2012. It was really great. <laughs> it was like the first tablet I was ever excited about You know, that wasn't the iPad. I um, understand. But it was too big. You, you couldn't put it in your pocket, really. And the Fold allows me to have this tiny little tablet that lets me read. I'll tell you, I was in a coffee shop yesterday. And my girlfriend and I went there to just chill out. Actually, it was Sunday. And I said, I'll bring my Switch because I want to play some Nintendo Switch. And I'll bring the Fold because I've moved back into the Fold. And I feel feel like I should have it in case I want to get any work done. We sat there for two hours. I love the Switch. I'm in the middle of replaying Doom 2 from the 90s. I did not get, I did not pick up that Switch once, though. Because when you sit down with the Fold and open it up and have that, what feels like an acre of screen space to work on, you just want to do stuff. You just want to edit video, edit photos and post them to Facebook or whatever, like I was doing from a recent vacation. You want to read a book because it's the perfect size. It's like a Kindle Oasis. I sound like a pitchman. I sound like Samsung. How much is Samsung paying you? But it's I I love this thing. And I right. I love it despite the fact that the Z Flip and the Razer are cooler in the sense that there are clamshells they become smaller and the fold is this big chunky brick but it's more useful for someone who's doing something all the time the fold rocks
0: nice nice and actually you already referenced a couple of these things like you know Kindle and you know reading books and whatever I'm just curious like what tablet things have you found yourself doing now that you carry a tablet again
1: so yeah so definitely the Kindle stuff Um, Google Maps uh, I moved to Brooklyn five months ago. I am very new to living in New York City. So having this map that opens up to you know a, a usable size, whether you're uh, driving or or walking or doing whatever, just on the home screen, uh, using this phone at CES was amazing because you mm. can put full-size widgets on the home screen. And every time I open it up, I've got my, my inbox and calendar already open side by side, and I have room for other stuff. Like, the it, it, it makes Android widgets useful in a way they haven't been for a while. Uh, and then just the comfort of typing, the comfort of going into YouTube Studio and seeing all the metrics spread out. Um, and it, it, it's, it's tough. I don't have the time to enumerate all the different ways. Oh, I'm sure you don't. A big screen <laughs> is useful, but they are, they're innumerable. I mean, our
0: screens are getting bigger and bigger as we, you know, as we speak. Anyway, how big is the screen on the Samsung Galaxy S20 Ultra? It's like oh, 6.9 6. 9. inches or something
1: yeah, like that? Yeah, 6.9 inches.
0: So, and I mean, I... You're, you're already not that much smaller than the, than the Fold when it's opened. So, except yep. for the... Except well, for the fact that the fold is obviously a square,
1: right. or
0: square-ish aspect ratio. Which
1: makes all the difference in the world. Like, well, yeah. I, I just finished reviewing the Ultra. It's somewhere in the other room. I don't know where it is. I have no interest in going back to it because it's nowhere near as useful. From a screen acreage perspective, um, that square, like just that, that, that kitchen tile I have to spread out on is so luxurious compared to, yeah. uh, compared to a rectangle.
0: So uh, we are nearing the end of our of our talk here. I feel like
1: we haven't really touched on the, the sort of big sad of this whole thing, which was surprising to me. I think if you asked me six months ago what I was going to be most excited by at this point in March of 2020, I would have been like, well, I'm going to be carrying the Motorola Razor, So we have to we definitely should talk about that for a half hour because I was so amped for that thing. The minute I touched the razor, it was like, oh, my God. This is like the perfect kryptonite for someone who um, sometimes spends a little too long living in the past and also really loves modern tech. It's like nostalgia and bleeding edge tech in the same package. I want it.
0: I think if the, I think if the Z Flip and the Motorola Razr had a baby... That would probably be a really great phone, <laughs> yes. but yes. but um, but as it stands, like there's two. You know, I think I'm gonna have to wait for Gen two on both of those just before before I'm willing to really commit some some doughage, dude. To, and
1: as uh, as you should, I mean, the razor's not worth fifteen hundred dollars for most people. The Z Flip is mm-hmm. not worth thirteen eighty for most people. And the Z Flip requires that you spend the extra money on a smartwatch anyway because that external display is just useless. Um, right. So right. yeah, it's again, it's we're so early in this thing. Uh, it's just I think people, a lot of people, then make the jump to, well, this is never going to catch on. This is dumb, and I, I I have a problem with that kind of uh, dismissive attitude.
0: Sure. So what makes you most excited about the foldables going forward? Like, what are you really looking forward to? What are you hoping to see in the next, hmm. you know, one, two, five years?
1: More, more. Um, s- moments of surprise and delight like i had at the tcl briefing i was just at like i didn't expect to see something new i expected to see a clamshell and maybe a folding tablet and what they gave me was a crazy westworld tablet that you know this crazy westworld thing with these two hinges that weighs 10 pounds so they're never going to release it but still it's like oh man when they slim that down when they find a way to make that work, that's going to be incredible. This scrollable thing, I never would have thought that you could do that with a display, that you could wind it around a spool and make something that looks like a Galaxy Note 10 Plus become something that looks like a Huawei Mate X, which we didn't even talk about. See, uh, I,
0: well, yeah, there's a reason for that. Uh. Oh,
1: sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: yeah, of course. But yeah. I think that's it. That's my answer. It's like, uh, manufacturers have a lot of engineers who are much smarter than me when those engineers are allowed to just play ball and deliver something that i never would have expected that to me is that to me is like the the the, the best part of the job and awesome it, the icing on top of that is of course when that's something i never expected delivers concrete benefits that i also would never have expected so that's what i'm looking forward to in the next five years
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mr. Fisher, thank you very much for coming on and for dedicating your Tuesday night, which, and when this airs, it'll have been a month ago, but still, uh, (laughs) I still still appreciate you uh, giving us your time and your insight into the world that is all things foldable. Now it's time for you to talk about what you have coming up, if you want to give us any, you know, nuggets or teasers as to what's coming to the Mr. Mobile or if there's anything going on with Android Central and foldables that you want to talk about?
1: Please do. Yeah, there's by this time this, this goes up, we should have a, a series up, which right now the working title is Life on a Folding Screen, but I don't know what we're going to do with that. Um, and it, I'll have probably two videos up uh, by then. And this is just going to Android Central will have a mess of content. there my, my partners over there uh, under the the wonderful future publishing umbrella, AndroidCentral.com, and the Mr. Mobile on YouTube. And I'm just going to crank out as many videos as I can. Um, telling people what it is like to live on a folding screen, whether that's a phone, the Lenovo ThinkPad X, uh, you know, PC tablets, maybe wearables. Once we get flexible displays on wearables, um, I'm, I'm buying as many of these as I can because the manufacturers so far are not loaning these out for unlimited loan periods. Um, and in, in my opinion, I, that kind of sucks because we're not able to determine on a review device how durable they are. So I've just been buying them. I have a Galaxy Fold. I have a Galaxy Z Flip. And I'm going to use them as much as I can and tell you as often as I can how well they're holding up and how they're changing how I use tech. So the Mr. Mobile on YouTube for that.
0: So, well, again, Michael, thank you again for coming no, on. Thank you, it has Adam. been it has been awesome chatting with you, and I, uh, I I know that I will see great things from you in the future, and and Likewise. from the future from the future publishing umbrella, which oh. I'm still trying to get used to because that's just so weird. But <laughs> but, but yeah, future. so check them out: the Mister Mobile on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on mm. Venmo, not on, Snapchat. on, not on Snapchat. well, it should be <laughs> anyway. So yeah, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Yeah, whatever, whatever else. Instagram.
1: There you go. Yeah,
0: (laughs) the Mr. Mobile, the M R M O B I L E, and you can find him there. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably already have, and you probably already love him as much as I do. So, thank you again, Michael.